grace, mercy, and peace be yours, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus. Amen. The word of God that we will give our attention to this morning in our meditation comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, beginning with verse 30. Please stand as we listen to the words of our Savior Jesus. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. This is the gospel of our Lord. You may be seated. What are you doing here? If you're following along, if you'd like, there are some notes on a, a printout in your worship folder. It has the text on the top and some notes on the bottom. I have that question there, why are we here? I'll let you fill in your own answer, I suppose. I think a number of you are probably here today because you came for Anna's retirement celebration. But why are we doing that celebration here? What is it that's brought you all together on a Sunday morning in, in a church? When it's a really beautiful day outside, you could be out just enjoying the day, but, but rather you're here. I think it's because something has drawn you here, at least most of you. And so you've come together with these people in this building, in this room. Why? In our school, we have a sort of credo that we go through with the kids, three questions and three answers that we walk through with them at least once every single day to help them remember their identity, to help them remember why they're here. And so I'd like to go through those three questions with you together. I think we've got them on the screen, so go ahead, guys. We can put the first one up there. I'll read the question. I'll invite you to give the answer. Otherwise, if not, many of you know it. We'll have it gauged. Do you have the slide? We'll just try it anyway. Who are you? What are you called to do? I am called to be a disciple of Jesus. 
with him living in me so that I can live for him. How can you live for Jesus? With the power and forgiveness of Jesus, I can be a leader by serving God and others. That's why we're here, isn't it? We're here because our God has saved us. And because we need to be reminded of that again and again and again. And so we come here to be reminded of our God, of what he's done for us, of the things that he has said and promised to us. We come here to be reminded that we are children of God, that we have an everlasting inheritance, that we are dearly loved by our Savior God. We're here because we are disciples of Jesus. We want to be his disciples. We want to follow him. And in order to follow him, we have to listen to him and hear what it is that he has to say. So we come together here with other disciples, other followers of Jesus to listen to the words that our God has to share with us, to, to hear again and again the things that he has to say. And we're here because we want to lead. We, we want to be leaders in the sense that we want to lead lives that are pleasing in the sight of our God. We want to lead others to him so that they can come to know him, so that they can have the same peace and satisfaction that we have. We come to see Jesus. That's what we're doing here. I think that question, why are we here, is at the heart of this conversation. If you can call it a conversation, it's at the heart of the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples when they were too afraid to answer anything back in that room in Capernaum. Jesus called his disciples over to his side and, and he asked them a question. He asked, what is it that you were arguing about on the way here? And maybe you can feel the awkwardness as feet shuffle and faces look down, eyes dart away to the corner of the room. Not a single one of them was brave enough to give an answer because they knew what they had been arguing about, who among them was the greatest. And they heard in Jesus' question, that other question, why are we here? They knew they were not here to be arguing about who was the greatest but they didn't have anything to say. So Jesus sat down to calmly teach them. And he spoke to them a sermon, not a long and grandiose sermon. We have some of those from Jesus, great, beautiful sermons, long parables full of depth and meaning. But Jesus spoke to them in that moment with a sermon that was just one sentence long. We have a lot of those too, these beautiful one-liners from Jesus. We'll be looking at a number of them over the coming weeks. Today we actually get a bonus, we get two. Jesus sat down with his disciples and he said, anyone who wants to be the first must be the very last and the servant of all. 
I think it's important for us to note that Jesus did not scold his disciples for wanting to be great. Because wanting to be great is not a bad thing. If we go all the way back to the very beginning, the account of creation, we'll read on day six that after God had created everything, he looked at what he had made and he said, it is good. And in fact, on day six, he said more than that. He said, it is very good. Or we could maybe substitute the word great. God looked at what he had made and he said that it was great. And that included Adam and Eve. They were created by God to be great. You were created to be great. But as we remember that, we need to remember also that although God created us to be great, our sinfulness has corrupted our idea of greatness. It's been corrupted into a longing not just to be great, but to be known as great. It's been corrupted into a want not just to be great, but to be greater than somebody else. In other words, sin has corrupted the greatness that God created us for into a desire to be praised by others and to be elevated above them. That's the next take-home note. Jesus saw that corruption in his disciples that day in that room. He sees that same corruption in you and I. But instead of destroying them for that corrupt idea in their mind, he seeks to reform them. And he seeks to reform you and I today to radically transform us into that greatness that he originally created us for. He does it by teaching with that short little sentence, whoever wants to be first must be last and the servant of all. True greatness, Jesus is saying, isn't isn't wishing to be first while someone else is second and third and fourth, but true greatness is a willingness to be the very last. True greatness isn't positioning yourself to be praised and elevated, but it's positioning yourself to be able to praise and elevate others. Consider our teachers as an example. The true meaning of greatness for our teachers is not how many conferences or professional development seminars they attend over the course of their career. It isn't how many degrees they have or how many little letters go in front of their name. It isn't even how well their scholars score on their tests year after year after year. True greatness for our teachers comes from how well they have done in crucifying that desire to elevate themselves and allowing to rise up in its place this desire to serve others. True greatness for our teachers comes in the willingness to decrease while helping others to increase. Whoever wants to be first must be last and the servant of all. It's crazy, it's backwards 
It's upside down from our human nature's way of thinking. And so to help the disciples understand it, to illustrate his point, Jesus used what maybe we could call would be a children's sermon. It's kind of the opposite of a normal children's sermon where you would have an object lesson, something concrete to help little children wrap their minds around an abstract thought that maybe adults could understand more simply. But here in this room, Jesus takes as an object a child to help these grown men understand something that was difficult for them to wrap their minds around. Mark writes, Jesus took a little child whom he placed among them. And then taking the child up in his arms, he said to him, and here's our second one-line sermon, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. There are few creatures in this world that are more helpless than little human children. There are creatures that are born into this world fully capable of taking care of themselves, fully self-sufficient, but human beings are not among them. From infancy and throughout the early years of childhood, human beings are completely helpless. And some of you have middle schoolers or high schoolers, and you might think, well, it doesn't change all that much even through high school. And kids, I know there's a lot of you here today, and I say this understanding that I was a child once too, but you're a bunch of freeloaders, aren't you? <laughs> Think about everything that is done for you. People provide you with food, with a home, with clothing, with transportation, with education, with, with affection and affirmation. And what do they get in return? Do you pay them for all of those things? Children need so much help. They need to be served so much. And, and children aren't usually in the habit of writing long speeches of appreciation and gratitude for these things that are given to them. We take as children almost all of it for granted. And children still, despite all that they are given, have a tendency to be ornery and in times angry and spiteful towards the very people who provide all of that care for them. And so by using this child as an example, Jesus is setting before his disciples a case of someone who needs to be served, who will not benefit you all that much from serving them. So why do we do it? Why did you do it, Anna? Why did you do it with the four children that God bless you and Mike with? Why'd you do it with the hundreds of children who came through your classrooms over 28 years of ministry? I'm not gonna make you answer in front of everybody, but it's not because I don't want to embarrass you, I just wanna do that on my own. <laughs> I have a hunch, I, I think I know the answer, Anna, from the time that I've spent in ministry here with you, and I think we'll get a sense of it as we hear the things that your other coworkers have to say about you later on today. I think that the reason that you have spent these past decades welcoming and receiving and caring for children, I think it is because you are great. I don't think that you did it for self-glorification. I don't think you did it for the money 
or for the esteem or for the future of our nation. I don't think you did it for the sake of education or the sake of equality or the sake of social justice or, or even for the children. I think that the reason you have given your years and your energy and your effort and your gifts and abilities for these children is not for their sake alone, but for the sake of and in the name of your Savior, Jesus Christ. Is that fair to say? I think what Jesus is getting at when he says, welcoming children in my name, is that this is something that we do not because of what they might do for you, but because of what he has already done for you. Brothers and sisters, that is greatness in the kingdom of our God. And if it makes you feel uncomfortable, Anna, for me to pick you out and to say in front of all these people, I think you're great. And if there are any of you out here who are imagining yourselves in her shoes being singled out like that, and that makes you squirm a little bit, then I think that just goes to prove the point. We've been blessed in this church with teachers who are not in it to be praised, who are not in it to be singled out and glorified, but who are in it simply to praise and to glorify their God. And that's a truly great thing. Friends, our God created you to be great. Do you want to be what God created you to be? Then serve, he says. And if you need to know who to serve, well, start with the children. Look around this room. There's an awful lot of them to pick from. And when we're serving the children, we can also continue to look for others who need to be served. Anyone else who has a need that we can help to fill. And how do we best serve them? We serve our children or anyone else around us who is in need best. When we help them to see that their life revolves around who their God is and what it is that he has done for them. And that is a lesson that is best caught more than it is taught. And what I mean by that is we can tell them as many times as we want what it is that Jesus has done for you, that he lived for you, he died for you, he rose for you so that you could live with him forever in heaven. But the peace and the satisfaction that comes from a life that revolves around Jesus is something they will learn so much more by seeing you live it, by seeing you have that peace and satisfaction yourself. These two simple one-line sermons from Jesus have a lot to teach us. First, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, and he created you to be great, so I think you do want that, you must be the very last and a servant of all, including and perhaps especially including children. Second, if you welcome a child in my name, Jesus says, you welcome the one 
who sent me. You welcome God. In other words, he's saying, when I call you to be the servant of all, to show love to others, including children, I'm simply calling you to stop chasing after praise and glory for yourself and to start pursuing God. Seek him through your service to others, and his greatness will shine through you. When the Son of Man comes again in glory and sits on his glorious throne, he will say to his children gathered on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, and take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world, for you have done great things for me. And then awkwardly and uncomfortably, they will turn to him and ask, Lord, when did we ever do great things for you? And the king will answer them, amen, amen. I say to you, whatever you have done for one of the least of these, you have done for me. Well done, good and faithful servant. May God bless the great things, Anna, that he still has to do through you. May he bless the great things that he has yet to accomplish through all of you. The Lord be with you. Amen. Please stand. May the peace of our Savior God, the peace that transcends our human understanding, guard and keep you, guard and keep your hearts and minds in him until life everlasting. Amen.